Welcome to Junior Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Sean Wang, better known as Swix, to talk about coding careers. Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me, David. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited about this. Uh, for folks, folks who are meeting you for the first time, uh, could you share a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. I changed careers. I used to work in finance for uh, my first career, and I changed careers at 30. Uh, did a lot of nights and weekends with Free Code Camp, and then eventually did a boot camp, um, and then went kind of all in on React in a 17-ish. Um, most recently, I worked as a developer experience engineer at Netlify, and this year, I just joined uh, Amazon or AWS as a senior. That's where I am. Between jobs, because I essentially quit my job in March, and then the, the whole COVID thing happened, I had two months off between jobs. So I was like, what's, what, what's one thing I can do and ship within that two months? And, uh, and I shipped a book. That's now the coding career. That is awesome. Yeah, definitely uh, have been reading through that. Uh, that is, as I mentioned, you've got one chapter in there called From Junior to Senior, which I thought was just super <laughs> appropriate for this show. So really excited to have you on. Uh, also, just to, to be able to write a book in just in that short period of time is, is really impressive. Um, so as you know, a lot of our listeners are either aspiring developers or junior developers, and it's uh, really good to, to you know, have you on and, and talk with us. So one of the things that, that I, I read in your book that I completely agree with is your uh, appreciation for systems rather than now for a lot of aspiring developers. I think that's really difficult, right? Because they they're going to have that goal in their mind. It's going to be so bright. It's going to be so large. They're just going to think, oh, the way to be a developer is to get that job. And they're thinking about the interviews. They're thinking about that end result. And I guess, do you want to talk a little bit about why that might be, uh, why it might be better to just think about the systems rather than that, that goal? Yeah, totally. Um, so first of all, I, you know, I, I kind of got this idea from two different sources. One was the founder of my Buddha Yang. He started and his graduation systems over. Mm. And I, I really took that to heart, you know, and I, I, I definitely credit a lot of my success in the, in the industry to this, to this mentality. Um, I, I think also the other person who's been very vocal of this is Scott. Um, but yeah, anyway, so the, the, the main idea is that uh, you know, people make a lot out of goal setting, like you know, at, at New Year's Eve, everyone has New Year's resolution and they set a goal and then they don't really reach that goal. And I think that you, ha you have to do some introspection as to why. And I think it's it's really a flaw of like, thinking that goals are, are what matters. And really the problem is goals don't really tell you how to reach them. Um, so you can set a, a pie in the sky goal. And if you don't have a good system to get there, you'll never get there. So it's actually really just the system. That, and so th those are for like the underachievers. <laughs> and then even for the overachievers, people who set goals and meet them uh, or, or, or you know, reach them, they feel kind of empty after they reach mm -hmm. the goal. And then they're like, what next? Because, you know, to them, life is like a series of, of just like levels and, and prizes. And then once they win, they, they, they think they'll be happy then. But then no, they'll, you know, they'll, there'll be a new goal and then, and then they, they keep deferring their happiness after. So uh, I think it's also a healthy thing for, for people who are, you know, very highly achieving to focus on their system more than goals, because then you don't have this overarching focus on some arbitrary point at which you will be happy. You try to be happy today. And I think uh, that's a, a, at least actually a lot of message in a lot of the message that I try to give in the book, which is a healthier perspective on like, you know, building a developer career that's sustainable. That's not just 
you know, uh, the rat race or just like hustle. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah. I think that's really, that's really true. One thing that I've noticed with um, aspiring developers is, you, you know, that they, they're trying to, they're trying to uh, think about the interview and obviously they get really caught up in these algorithms and that these, these whiteboard tests and um, these technical challenges. And, you know, you, you know, in one sense you, you do what you need to do, right? If, if you know that those are the interview questions, well, that's the game that you have to play. But I do think that it also warps a little bit of their perspective of what being a professional software developer is. And I liked in your book, you actually talk about how it kind of depends on what level of the stack that you're, you're working at. Oh, yeah. And so it was a big insight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to talk a little bit about that? Um, it's this idea that, you know, how come we have so many books on technical use and algorithms and stuff. But then like when I did my interview, I had basically like only Google did the traditional whiteboard view. Everyone else has moved on from that. And I was like, what, what's up with that? Like, I thought I viewed the same way. And I, I think I just realized that there's a reason. It's not that Google's backward. And it's not that the, the startups that I interviewed at are forward. It's just that these are different jobs. And Google has a generalist as suite, you know, software in your job um, where they expect you to be able to, to work at different parts of the stack. Whereas a lot of you know, most jobs, in fact, actually ask you to work on applications and sites, right? Which is a very different skill set, and you don't actually need a lot of low-level uh, stuff. And so then that led me down the path of like, okay, what are all the software jobs out there? And if you could sort them on sort of spectrum, what would that look like? And that seems like a crazy question until I actually did it. I, I just had like this flash of insight and it's this flash of insight basically saying if you took every software job in the world <clears throat> and you sorted them by how close they are to the, to the machine or to the end, right? And, and you just kind of place them on that spectrum. So, you know, uh, at a very, very, at a very simple level, like a firmware developer writes software, but like very, very connected to the hardware. And then at the, at the other end of the spectrum, someone who customizes WordPress template or like, you know, does Excel, there's uh, most people will agree that Excel is a programming, like those are end users and business who are not really traditional developers, but they're, they're kind of working with code, but these are all writing software in some shape or form. And it's just matter, it's just a matter of your distance between uh, the machine and the, and the end user or consumer. And I think that's a very interesting perspective to, to think about because then it absolutely makes sense that the, the kind of interview questions you ask depend on which layer you're at. So I, so I call these like coding career layers just because branding, you know, <laughs> but, but I, had, I had six levels and it's kind of, you know, the, the, the top three, which are closest to the user, I kind of call them products engineers, which, which is an emerging industry term these days, and which I think is much better than, you know, front end versus back end. But even front end versus back end has this idea of, okay, I'm closer to the user, you're closer to the machines, right? That's fine. Uh, and then the other, the, the bottom three are kind of platform developers and platform developers necessarily have a very different mentality to product development. And I think you can really see, have this clarity of like organize all of software. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The grand unified uh, yeah. theory of software engineering. I mean, it's, it's pretty neat. Um, yeah. I, I was, I was like, I was pretty happy with it. Um, I had a notable dissenter from Vincent Wu, who is a uh, Fuligen on, on Twitter. Uh, he's a, He's, a, he's someone I actually really looked up to, and that was my first ever interaction with him. So that was kind of funny. But that's what happens when you post theory. You get detractors, and I think it's it's incumbent. It's, it's you know something I've made into a, a habit of mine is to take the detractor, turn them into allies, or turn really listening instead of. Oh well, the goal um, is to make the idea stronger. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and like, he doesn't care what I think. He doesn't care about how I felt uh, <laughs> in that in that interaction. But uh, I think he, you know, he. 
it's good to have people call BS on you rather than, you know, just giving you sort of unconditional support all the time. It's, it's good for emotional support, but sometimes you need that uh, friction to, to, to be better. Yeah. I mean, and it's true. I think it depends how, how closely or how personally invested you are in an idea. But if you can, if you can separate yourself a little bit and you're just interested in, in feedback, you know, I think having dissenters or detractors try and make the idea stronger is a good thing. So one thing that that uh, I'd like to get your your I guess opinion on is: Do you think it's a good idea? This is for an aspiring developer, so maybe like a first career uh, that it's they're looking to get their first coding job, not necessarily first career. But um, how how much do you think that they should specialize? Do you think it's possible for someone who's looking at that first gig to know, oh no, I definitely need to be or want to be close to the user, and so I should be really thinking about application? Do you think it's possible for them to say, oh no, I absolutely know I want to be platform far away from the user or something? Is that something that they can know? I think it's possible, yeah. Whether they'll actually do it is a different question. Um, I, which is why, you know, it's I, uh, something I something I say a lot in many places of my my advice is that uh, it's it's a lot about self knowledge rather than asking other people for their answers because when I say something I, I'm pretty just reflecting on my own experience uh, but what you really need to do is just figure it out yourself and um, so the the main thing so I you know I have a chapter on on the first job hunt I I, I definitely agree that that is the probably the critical part of like getting someone over the hump into our industry and then they can fix themselves um, the the main thing is just talk like, talk to people uh, about what they do and and, and it's not you know, I think that's a, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's as much about getting a referral into the company, which definitely helps your chances as it is about just understanding what the job you're signing up to do is. Um, so that you get better, you have better responses when you, when you interview, but then also, you know, picking that first job is actually important because that helps to determine the second and third job. So it's um, speak more to, <laughs> to different <laughs> developers and, and, and figure out, figure out what it is you really want. Um, I think, I think for sure it helps to specialize. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and I, I, I've, you know, I have a, I have a chapter on being whether you should be a specialist on generalist, and I've listened to a bunch of different conversations by developers about specializing, specializing versus generalizing, and basically everyone specializing way to go because that's a little bit of how capitalism works. You get paid more. Hey, I think like, I think uh, that's probably pretty scary though. If you're if you're somebody who's just starting out, you're you're an aspiring developer. What if you choose wrong, right? I think or or yeah. they they definitely really want a job, and so you know, wouldn't it restrict your prospects to to choose like wouldn't it be better to just be able to you know be available for all of these different types of jobs so i think the the question of choosing wrong is different from the question of does choosing the specialized restrict your prospects i i in fact even say that generalizing might because people don't really know what because you don't know what you, and uh, you know it's that whole thing of master jack of all trades uh, and who wants to hire us so is that, is that kind of mentality um the the concrete number this is a, it's a very hard book to write because no facts mm-hmm. around these things mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, but the concrete number that i give is cory house so cory house is one of the sort of consultant developers that i kind of look up to um he used to do general javascript right he's like i i know javascript i'll do i'll, I'll come in and like fix all your javascript and he had a bunch of logos right i got react i got angular i got Vue, i got node i got mongo whatever um and he did general consulting for a few years and then at one point, he like had some flash of insight, and he switched, threw away all those logos, and he said, "I own. I, I'm a specialist in doing in transitioning people, transitioning teams from you know Angular to React." Mm-hmm. His inbound opportunities went up by 15 times. 15 times. 
in one year. Same developer, just a different pitch because people now know which box to put you in. And that's a lot of like how to market yourself is you help people put, like it's, a, yeah, of, of course you have other interests. Of course you need other capabilities, but you tell people like it's all, it's on you to tell people what you're best so that they can, they can, they can go like, okay, I know this opportunity that, that I can send you away now. Um, instead of having them go, I don't know. This guy doesn't know. Let's see, let's see what, see what's up. Um, so I think uh, for sure, like, so, so, you know, I would kind of, kind of to close off that point, specializing may not reduce your opportunities. They actually may and by a lot. So that's one thing. Uh, but you, but you still may choose wrong. You may choose to specialize in the wrong thing. And that's something that you, you, you choose it, you figure, you find out that it's that you like don't enjoy it or like you don't really get it, or it's just not that interesting as a field um, that happens. And I think a lot of people, you know, me get analysis paralysis with, with that choice, like not wanting to make that choice. So they make the choice. That's a choice in itself. But uh, you know, always, always like always remember that as software engineers, one of our privileges is that we're only dealing with, you know, like there's, there's this general idea of how computers work and we all share that mental model. It's not like, you know, we're, we're dealing in like the real world where it's like really hard to like, you know, shift from like an industrial engineer, like a civil engineer. Cause like, it's a totally different, different laws of physics that are even applied. Right. This is just computers, man. We can, we can switch pretty easily. Yeah. Um, so I tend to like try to hype people up and, and then let them down with, with this idea that these are all reversible. It's okay to make mistakes. You will make them. So it's better to be resilient to mistakes rather than to plan on never, ever making a mistake every upset when you. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I completely agree. I like that example about the, um, you know, you said that was Corey House who uh, yeah. switched. Yeah. Like he actually gave his numbers, but it's, it's, these are really hard numbers to get, right? Because you don't know the, the counter, um, counter for. I don't know, counter example or something. Exactly. Yeah. It really reminds me of this. Um, this uh, experiment that I think I read about in Thinking Fast and Slow, where they had um, they were they they had like two sets of china, so you know little cups and dishes and things. One was like six pieces, and the other was like eight pieces. And they would be able to to see how much you know the the um, I know the the participants would pay for each of the sets. But here's the trick: it was. It was the same core six components in each. So one was six, and then the eight had all of the same, the six, but it included two additional ones that were chipped. And people would pay more for the six than they were for the eight, even though that the eight included the six, just the additional of more stuff that was looked a little bit damaged reduced the, the price. And so I think <laughs> that there is probably some underlying psychology of like no like i just want every you know just the good like complete is going to be more valuable than the oh i can do everything like approximately well or something so i think uh i think that that's what it reminded me of i think in the book, it's a funny that way it's yeah. we, we respond a lot to packaging we respond more to packaging than we cared it mm -hmm. which uh you know, it's kind of interesting for me as a, you know, I'm a student of psychology, a little bit of my job is, and uh, it's weird because like we, we, we don't like to believe we're susceptible, want to make decisions, the best technicals, mm -hmm. but uh, I think it's more honest to admit very comprehensive and thorough technical <laughs> reviews of everything out there because it's impossible. And we actually rely, we do rely a lot on even right down to little things like care a lot about the gopher mascot. Uh, mm -hmm. If you're, if you're like, I picked go it's so, it's so cute um it's i i've heard this <laughs> yeah no that's completely believe it like we're not we're not computers we you know we have yeah. to run off of heuristics and and it's it's important to to recognize um yeah one of the things kind of related to this too and in, in terms of specializing generalizing 
opportunities is, um, and again, this is for aspiring developers who are trying to figure it out. Uh, you talk about finding the intersection between what you like, what you can be good at, and what the world values. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things that that I've talked about with in my group mentorship is trying to trying to I guess figure out that last piece when you're interviewing and you're talking to companies. It's really good to have an idea of what the company will value in you, and that's often very different than the way that you see the world as an aspiring dev. I think a lot of the developers that I talk to who are who are just starting out. They're almost thinking that the more boxes that they can check, the better their odds. Like if they know GraphQL and they know React and they know Vue, like that increases their odds. But that's usually not the way that companies look at it. Is that is is that something that that you know that you've seen? Mm. That's a very broad question. <laughs> I think I think for sure some hiring managers actually care about those you know checking off the off the mm -hmm. boxes. But I think anyone who thinks about technology as something where you can check off a bunch of boxes necessarily treats technology as very shallow. Like what does it mean to know, you know, um, have you looked, have you read through the spec? Have you, if you read through the graphical, have you looked through the difference between, you know, the, the uh, GraphQL JS versus you know, the Ruby implementations, the Java implement, um, have you looked at the history of GraphQL inside of Facebook with ENTS? Like, you know, I've, I've, I've done a little bit of that and I still don't feel like I know anything, right? It's kind of like that little bit of, when you start out, you have this like Dunning-Kruger effect where you think you know it. The, the more you learn, you, you actually figure out the more you don't know. So what does it mean to know GraphQL? And what does it mean to be the kind of person who is satisfied by that? I don't really, I think that's kind of shallow. So uh, I don't really encourage that. As for hiring though, sometimes people, hire, I can't deny. So yeah, I don't know. It's you, you To get hired, uh, convince people via whatever they but don't let don't ever let that you know affect what you think is what you, what your personal growth plans are because you know all hiring you know metrics are flawed in some shape and you gotta you gotta actually pursue your own personal curiosity as to you know what you get involved in and actually go deep. Um, so I, I I tend to tell people to follow the graph instead of like you know a lot of people when they, when they say they know something like React or they know something like GraphQL they really only know surface area stuff the stuff that everybody talks about um, and I have a I have a list of like how to go deep you know. Um, like show me, like show me way, way back in time when the original prototype was like how, and what's changed between that and this, um, can you build a mini clone of it? Um, you know, and, uh, or like, what are the alternative APIs that weren't considered or what mistakes were, were made? what do the original creators regret the, um, you know, like, and, and there's, there's all these other sort of counterfactual questions, which are, uh, which actually give you and deepen your appreciation of, of what, uh, the G is. And they, they're definitely, you know, they, it, there's, there's just like this infinite depth of things that you can kind of dive in. So I don't know. I, I wish I wish people went deep. Is, mm. is that, I'm not sure that our hiring set kind of set that way. But I think in terms of so you know when you look at job listings, right? Those are one of the one of the messages for sure that that I harp on is that only about 20% of jobs are actually advertised job boards. Mm. The rest are just through like relationships and networks. And it's also it's only those is only and those are you know those are the really good jobs. Those are the jobs where you get through your personal reputation for knowing something really well and being being the the, the go to for that technology. That's not the kind of thing you achieving. You know that's that's how that's how a lot of people think about their portfolio. It's like oh I'll just like have a bunch of the right technologies on uh, that that people are looking for and that will be enough. I kind of yeah that's enough to to probably get hired for a junior job. But I think if you want to get senior and beyond, you probably need to have deeper engagement. At Netlify, did you did you do uh, hiring interviews? I did some. Uh, I was on a hiring panel. I, I was not a hiring man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'd be curious, like if uh, 
I mean, I don't know how much you, you were hiring junior devs or, or anything like that, but I, I guess I would be curious to know how much it would help for a developer to really understand Netlify's business and what they were trying to do from more of a product uh, perspective and less from a, oh, Netlify uses, I don't know what you used on the front end, if it was React or, or yeah, TypeScript, yeah. yeah. You know, or if it was just, oh yeah, no, I've, I've used React and whatever. I mean, I would assume that, you know, if they, they knew the business and like, oh, it's onboarding and UX and this is what's important or it's hosting and these are the systems that you're likely to be doing, that would, yeah. that would go a long way. Yeah. So um, the, my response to that would be, uh, again, this differs for junior versus senior. Um, you know, the more senior you go, the more you're expected to understand more fundamental. And that's why, you know, I also included a study of career ladders. And if you look at, you know, every public career ladder that everyone's ever published, Actually, technical skill was just about like 25% of evaluation criteria and everything else, communication, business impact, and influence. Um, you know, in terms of, so, so yeah, definitely defers in terms of uh, uh, seniority that, that you're kind of applying to. Um, for, for, junior, for more junior folks, um, yeah, you, you know, facility will train you with the rest. And uh, the others, you know, more senior people might be, be expected to bring in the existing uh, knowledge of, um, or just like, you know, understand what they can, how they can apply their technology to the business metrics, which is how they, you know, headcount and stuff like that. the, the core insight that I want, I really want to give is I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of blanking. I had, I had another point that, that I really wanted to make, um, but I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of blanking anyway. Um, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk about like business impact, you know, a bit more because that's, that's a whole other fields uh, that's like mm -hmm. one for one quarter of the book which is all like understanding the business of software and, and technology strategy um but i think i think everyone should understand how money their code yeah <laughs> i think that's i mean part of the reason why i really wanted to create junior to senior is i felt that there was this this gap a lot of aspiring developers really lacked a perspective of what hiring managers are thinking and looking for like what what you know, what would a hiring manager be really thrilled about if they hired you? Or what are they secretly worried about? Like what, what, what is a, what is a hiring manager scared of, of why they wouldn't hire someone? And I think that's, that's something that a lot of aspiring, aspiring developers for good reason have no insight into. And the <laughs> one that, that really jumped out at me um, in your book, is you talk about being a, uh, a work sink versus a work generator. And I think as a hiring manager, yeah. I think one of the, the biggest fears is hiring someone and then just having them become a work generator, like taking, taking all of this time and causing, causing more problems for, for the senior, the senior developers. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about, um, you know, some of the things that, that you put into uh, the, the section on junior developers. I think it was really, really helpful. Yeah, I mean, so like, what advice do you have for for junior developers? Like, so once they get that get into that job, like, what's an important thing for them to remember? Ooh, uh, remember that like they hired you anyway, and you're not expected to know everything. So I always talk about turning ignorance into it's I, I call it lampshading. You know, turning ignorance is power because we're we're very used to the idea that knowledge is power, um, and and we feel not we don't feel confident as persons, especially if we have the. I kind of I'm kind of against mm. that. Right? I'm into it for the book, but whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, be that person who doesn't know this because uh, it's it's incumbent upon people who hired you and the seniors to really mentor you, right? Um, and it's beneficial for them if if they know if they, if they know what's good for them. If what's probably not clear to you, you're probably not the only person that 
doesn't know what's and you asking actually provides us so i, I kind of call it stupid questions which is <laughs> um which is great uh, especially if you if you invoke what i call the stupid question safe harbor which is you explicitly say hey stupid question but blah blah blah. everyone knows that you're role-playing you know it's you're not actually uh you're, you're <laughs> just role-playing and uh and that's fine and that's that's a that's a great role for the junior developer to be because guess what you're not going to have many years as a new developer this is your one shot to, to not know so make use of it because everyone because when you're a senior you should have gotten a lot of this out of you the other thing the other thing I, I tend to encourage people to do in their especially in their you know when they when they join a new job doesn't have to be their first job but a new job is to look through the tests um you know that for, for sure like the code you know code bases are only as good as their tests and uh, there's usually not enough tests or like tests are broken in some way because everyone's products priorities. So if you can, if you want to, you can contribute tests, right? And that's the way to, you'll never break the product. In fact, you're doing the opposite. You're making more robust. You will learn your code base really well because you, you understand at a high level, you don't even need to know implementation detail. You just know how it's tested. Um, and then, you know, your, your coworkers will be grateful for you because you're helping to contribute. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I, yeah. I think it's just a win to, to just like write a bunch of tests and, oh, yeah. or, or just like study how it works. Yeah. I think that's such a good suggestion. Um, I mean, yeah, from learning a code base standpoint, I mean, some people even say that tests are the best documentation. And so, sure. if, you know, if those people are, I think they have some good points. Um, that's probably it, it, tests are a form of documentation. Yeah, uh, but you know, documentation. So <laughs> yeah. I don't want to play semantics. Yeah, uh, oh, uh, for sure. So you know, when I joined Nullify, I did the I did the test thing. Something I discovered for sure that I didn't know. So when I so you know, I was a user of Nullify before I joined Nullify, right? But I'm I was a you know individual solo developer user. So I don't really have a good sense of what the enterprise experience mm. is, right? But when you look at the test, you you learn things about the edge cases of product that you never really experienced from your personal, but it's important to the business. Right? That's why you wrote the test for it. Um, so it's re really sort of bust your bubble as to like what you think your company. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I'll say, um, you know, for, for me, uh, I'm on the Node uh, mentorship team. And one of our first um, goals was to try and find mentees and pair them up with mentors so that they could land a commit on node core and one of the things that i realized is probably the best path uh for for anyone listening if this is one of your goals and it's it's probably not an easy one but if one of your goals is to land a commit in node core the tests are a really good place to start uh to start um definitely message me if you want some pointers on there but yeah i think that i think that is a much easier way to get a, a contribution landed than trying to get a new feature. And part of the reason is because it definitely makes it it stronger. It makes it less likely to break, whereas adding new features or changing functionality is definitely where you can introduce uh, risk. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, oh, one, one, one point I wanted to make regarding the importance of business impact. So this is the point I, I wanted to make earlier, but I forgot because I'm trying to thought is, is really like, so when, okay, so two things about hiring. One is that like, why are, why, why do people hire you full-time instead of hiring an agency or freelancer or third-party consultant? Uh, it's because like that agency, freelancer, whatever, those are the, yeah, they're the specialists and in, 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 they're incentivized to, to um, you hire people full-time because they're going to be incentivized to work, know your business. So if you continue to define yourself just by technology, then you're essentially just no different from the freelancer. And I could, one of those 
in some other country, like a third your cost. Right. So you don't want to be that. You want to be that person who knows the the the, the business value of, of your software and knows how to pitch that, knows how to architect your way that that's that's going to align with the businesses. Um, the second thing about hiring is that uh, for sure, especially especially for junior devs, uh, people want to de-risk, right? Like the whole point of interviewing is because I don't know who you are. If I knew you, I, I don't. Um, so, so you want to be able to help them de-risk, and that's why I, I focus on a lot of like, I, you know, everyone knows that the hiring, the the interview process is kind of broken, and I think it's just, I mean, we do what we can. I'm, I'm not, I'm not like hating on it. I'm just saying like most people think that that's the way things are, and it can't be any better. Um, and I, I try to try to give the message that it can be better um, because it's. You know, most people like don't really think about how other, how like how else they can sort of build their personal brand and, and uh, learn in public. Essentially, that's mm-hmm. that's kind of the prescription of the entire book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 this idea that like how come how come like when we you know interview when we change companies, right? We have to like condense everything down to like a one or two page resume and hope that's like a you know that's a super lossy co- and then hope someone who reads it decompresses it and then like is that like ah this is the person i'm looking for and then we interview and like we have to compress everything down to like a 30 45 minute interview and and that's like a weird thing to be that's not how we work you know um so it's it's much better to work in public and have people see what you see the stuff that you're interested in see the quality of your work um for example a lot of people are very interested in, in remote work if you work on open source like that's 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 mm-hmm. a form of remote work that is that's very clear and uh, instantly verifiable these are all ways that it kind of exists outside of the traditional job hiring system that basically help you by the time you get you you get to the hiring stage people can look on that like cuz everyone google when they hire you good for good or worse like yeah. that that's a special practice um but uh you know like providing that abundance of public information helps people basically skip past that de-risking stage it's that is that de-risking of like is this person a work generator or a work <laughs> right. can they can they independently ship and that's uh, especially when i when i you know survey people think about what defines a senior developer versus senior is like can they execute you know can i trust them essentially can, can i trust their judgment can I, can I assign stuff to them and trust they'll get it done and if they if they don't have it can i trust that they have the judgment to say i don't have it and report it back out to me? Um, and i think these are these are all you know skills that you you grow over time but if you can convey that trust then I, I'm much more comfortable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think this is sort of related to you talk about the verifiable proof of work. Um, <laughs> sort of the the you know the your your portfolio, I guess, and the projects that you've done. In in some sense, they kind of show what you're capable of, and in much less of a compressed way. Yeah, yeah. It's that it's that asymmetry of like you know during an interview, people typically judge you during that condensed, very compressed thirty to forty five minute interview, whereas uh, you know, there's, it's, it's also, it's equ- equivalently possible to have years of work be instantly verifiable by anyone who looks you up. Um, and that's way more convincing than anything in, can be done in an interview. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think that, uh, a lot of people, you know, who are aspiring can, can definitely, you know, just in one shot, write, write a book over a couple of, of months. But if you did, that would probably encapsulate a lot of your thinking, a lot of how you approach problems, a lot of, you know, I guess a blog would do this in a different form factor. Um, and depending on how busy the hiring manager is, but they, they would actually be able to see how you think, how you approach problems, and that would give them a very good simulation of what it would be like to work with you. And that would take away yeah. a lot of the risk. I, I worried about that a lot uh, in the sense that, you know, writing a book like this is very personal. It really opens me up for criticism, you know, because they're like, uh, you know, 
so I really had to like scan it for like you know, sexism, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Just like you know, make like make mm-hmm. sure you know run a, like a antagonistic check against going like okay, if I were trying to attack me, how would I do it? <laughs> and and try to do that. But but totally, um, it may, what you're saying is is true. Like from now on, if anyone were ever to to ask me or to try to look me up. And and try to try to figure out what's my what's my deal and and what I what I truly what what I truly truly believe. This is the book, right? Like I've 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 thrown it all out here, <laughs> and um, but like yeah, so not everyone should do that. Not everyone should write a book, but um, you could you could you could establish that with, over time with your blog, with your open source work, with Twitter, with um, with your speaking, public speaking, or and whatever. And and um, these are all just ways to uh, show proof of work and. Uh, one of the things you know, I try to encourage proof of work over portfolios because portfolios are very visual and they they kind of bias towards front end developer, designer developer. Um, and there's a whole spectrum of people who don't fit that <laughs> fit that realm. Um, and it's much easier to just buy. Right. Yeah. I mean, you um, you know, one of the things that that you you also talk about is is doing talks. Um, is that something that you you think is possible for aspiring devs or junior devs to to do? Yeah. Totally, uh, especially meetup talks are, you know, as a meetup organizer myself, like there, I always need more speakers, and and I'm sure you you appreciate oh, that. Oh, absolutely, as well. yeah. <laughs> um, although I will say, you know, you know, for the record, JSLA. So I've I've spoken, you know, for for those who don't know, I spoke I spoke there last year. Uh, is one of the most well organized, just like quality meetups I've ever spoken at in the entire country. Oh, um, it's just. I don't know how you do it, but you have a really good content. Therefore, you don't like. Um... Uh, you know, we, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, we have ten meetups a year, and each meetup has two speakers. So, trying to trying to fill twenty speaker slots a year um, can be challenging. Uh, I will say, I absolutely am very grateful. Like, very uh, happy to hear you say that about us. One of the things that that I try and do is I try, it's so weird these days with coronavirus, but what, what I try and do is bring the more national or regional conference oh, yeah. level to as many people as I can in a, you know, monthly local event. And so a lot of, a lot of how it's organized and a lot of how I've set it up is to try and, um, you just try and take what I've what I've gotten from bigger conferences like you know NodeConf, JSConf, things things like that to um, to a smaller scale. And one of the things that, that I've hoped for, and this is kind of related to, to why I asked about junior devs, is is I want this to be the the stepping stone, right? That you can come to JSLA, get a really good like idea of what it would be like to speak at JSConf or you know a bigger conference, and then you know, show that video of, hey, here's me speaking at JSLA, and then the organizer of a larger conference being like, oh, yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, um, yeah, you, exactly everything that that I also agree with. <laughs> um, I would say, I would say, you know, some people are maybe not so, you know, JSLA is like, like one to 200 people every time. Uh, that's a huge, that's a big audience new to this True. game. Uh, sometimes it can be better to just speak to a smaller group, like a like a lunch at work, you know, it's just mm-hmm. like you and your coworkers. Uh, and I definitely encourage that as well, just to, to get the nerves out of the way, get get comfortable with your speaking technology, figure out how to structure a talk, how to make interest. Yeah, just all, all that all that stuff, you, you know, um, one of uh, Matty Stratton, who is one of the, I think he works at Microsoft, he says, everyone has 10 bad talks. Um, so you just got to like, get, get them out of the way, you know, <laughs> do 10 bad talks in a row and then you're done. You're, you're a good speaker now, oh, you know? Oh man, um, I love that. Yeah, uh, that's so good. <laughs> Yeah. So, 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 you know, uh, and it's this idea, I think, you know, be comfortable. So, oh, I, one thing I also preach is, is basically maybe it doesn't matter now. Like it's like, 
uh, you know, and, and you're like, I don't, I, I can get, I can get good at this later when I actually need it. You know, if I'm a CEO or mm-hmm. if I'm a manager uh, and I need to do uh, public speaking as part of my job. But, you know, if you wait till then, then you're not going to be as good as, as if you started today and, and just got all your badness out of the way when it doesn't matter so that when it does matter, you're ready. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's so yeah. low. Like there's, you know, if you, if, if you kind of, if you keep your ego small with regards to like your work and you, you know, you just try to do your, your best at, at each point in time, then yeah, like right now you're going to suck, you know, especially when you get started, but that's the point where you suck and that's, that will be the past, in, right? Like, so, um, you know, people aren't really born good. Like they just kind of have to, kind of have to work. Yeah. I think it's adventure time. It's like, uh, like sucking at something is the first step of being kind of good at something or the best time to plant a tree is 10 years ago and the, the next best time is, is today. So, I mean, I completely agree with that. I think I would imagine a lot of, a lot of aspiring or junior developers would kind of feel that they don't have anything to talk about, right? Like, oh, what am I, they're going to imagine this room full of senior engineers and, and they're going to think like, oh, what, you know, what do I have to teach? Personally, I think trying to get up, I, I, I think this is, this might be a little bit controversial and people may not agree with me, but uh, definitely for JSLA, I strongly do not prefer talks that get up there and try and teach. Like, I I think a lot of people are attracted to the idea that they're going to get up and they're going to be the professor in in, our our talks are only 20 minutes. So the idea that someone's going to get up there and they're going to be like, okay, you didn't know GraphQL and now I'm going to show you a bunch of stuff and then you're going to go home and you're going to know how to do it. I don't like that for a number of reasons. One, I don't think that's actually a lot of bang for the buck there. Um, the other is is it tends not to be very engaging. And then probably the third is that it tends to compete with a lot of the resources out there. That yeah. if you are going to do such an intro-level survey, uh, effectively tutorial, you're competing with all of the other um, information out there. And so the types of talks that we really like for JSLA uh, I think actually plays um, plays up uh, is actually an advantage to a junior engineer, which is where we really like personal. And the reason why we like this is because it's almost we're never going to run into a problem where someone's going to watch the talk and they're going to be like, "Oh, I already read this on Hacker you know, Hacker Noon," because unless the speaker already wrote it up in a blog post, no one else is going to be able to. You know, for example, if it's like one of your personal stories, like, you know, I'm not going to be able to get up there and, you know, tell like a Swix personal story, right? Like it's not going to, it's not going to have happened. And one of the things that Junior, uh, and and you actually touched on this uh, on your book, I really like it, is that one of the most valuable assets that junior developers have or aspiring developers is the beginner's mind. And that is something that as you become more senior, you lose, and it winds up being this blind spot that is is difficult to deal with. And to have someone who is in that situation, has the beginner's mind, share their perspective, it can be really valuable. And so one of the talks um, that I think would be, or, or a class of talks that would be for JSLA, is someone who is a beginner chronicling, and I guess this plays right into your learn in, in public, uh, but so chronicling them trying to use particularly difficult software. Oh, and, yeah. And it doesn't even have to be, or like trying to learn something, because it, it the, the payoff is not, oh, I went through this and now I know how to do it. And so whatever, but it could be sort of a you know, here are all the stumbling blocks that someone new is running into. And here are the takeaways when you are writing your 
super senior awesome framework, don't make these mistakes. I mean, that's valuable to even the people who didn't write whatever the thing is that's being explored. Yeah, um, I, have, I have two I have two responses to that. Um, you know, first of all, yeah, no one no one can beat you at being you. You know, no one can be uh, more authoritative than you at your own personal story. So that that's a really great place for any developer to be in. Uh, I've seen a bunch of those as well. Erin um, Fox, uh, just look up her talks. She she does she kind of owns it really well. I, mm-hmm. I really like. And the other thing, uh, it was so. And then and the other thing is like you know, hacker uh, hacker news actually does really like things I wish I knew post mm-hmm. and uh, that, and you know, that's, that's a post, that's a talk, that's a whatever. Um, and these are all just like, you know, actually personal, but then they're probably hard won because you didn't come across them in some way. Right. And that's a failing, some form of design or documentation or whatever. Um, the other thing is, I think Suze Hinton from Stripe calls this ouch journals, mm-hmm. which are basically like when, yeah, when you come across the technology, like keep a journal of like things where, that you were like WTF or ouch. And, and, <laughs> and, and these are, these are valuable feedback. We actually pay people to, to do this at, you know, if you want to, if you want to help us improve our developer experience, record yourself going through this and just saying, just point out like places where it could be better. Um, it tends to, it tends to be very important, especially at developer focus companies for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, okay. So doing talks and probably the, the other one that you touch on, oh, you have a whole chapter about this is side projects. Is that, it, you know, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that can be useful for, for aspiring and junior devs? Yeah, um, it's a com- it's a slightly controversial topic because there are definitely people who don't have the, shouldn't, you know, we, sh- we shouldn't expect that everyone have side projects, but the reality is that a lot of people really do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and side projects are, are an opportunity to really grow uh, our per- like permissionless, uh, grow in a permissionless fashion in a sense that a lot of the times when you do stuff at work, you kind of have to get the approval to try to take, or you have to, you have to get, you know, you want to work in a feature and it's been fully spec'd out or, you know, whatever, right? Like those are, you're investing company time. That's the right, right way it should be done. But that restricts your growth to the speed of your organization. And if you're an ambitious, talented person, you probably want to grow faster than that or in a different direction than that. You know, sometimes, for example, at work, you might be stuck with a more legacy technology. That's what the company uses. Uh, but you want to explore with other technology and you want to get real working experience in that. You just won't be able to work. And side projects are a great way to explore that kind of thing. It's also this idea of, um, so I got this idea from the book, Apprenticeship Patterns, mm-hmm. which everyone, it's a, it's a very highly regarded. Um, it's this idea of a breakable toy which is that uh, a lot of times when we as developers come across a new technology, um, we, we, you know, we have marketing, we have be getting started paid at the hello world, uh, but it's, it's very superficial. And again, it's like, how do you get deeper than that? Right? How do you break out of tutorial hell? Is, is, is that, is that phrase? What, what's next after like tutorial, after tutorial, after tutorial, it's to actually apply it onto a, a toy where it doesn't matter if it breaks because it's, it's a side part source of income. Um, Maybe you're not even making it. So um, a, this breakable toy helps you try out technology and form a real opinion uh, by by really getting getting into the rough edges in a real use case that you're familiar with, not the the happy path demo thing that they that they obviously. So uh, that's a, just just a really really good way to you know to to get to get to get up to speed on technology to keep fresh. And then I think if you tune your side project to solve a, pro- a problem that you then um, you really start to you know, improve yourself, especially if you start to do, get into like automation, if you start to develop a tool, uh, that actually increases your productivity in your day job. And I, f- I find that the, the senior developers that have side projects that they, that they sort of, that sort of feeds into their productivity day job. First of all, 
they're they're really productive at work. But then second of all, their side projects are actually extremely high quality. You know what I mean? Like it's not mm-hmm. just a, it's not just a, a a different frame of mind. It's not just a a toy. They they actually use the thing. You know what I mean? Um. So one one example um here I can give is Ora Thero. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It's but <laughs> yeah, he 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 writes uh, Danger and Cocoa Pods, and these are all things that he uses, which does automation for his day job. And he is because of that, he is instant hire at any developer team because because his side projects are great. But it also like he's just that much more productive. And I think uh, if you can make a side project that you use and optionally it makes money, that's that's wonderful. Um, Careful about making money with your side project. Just you know, there's some IP assignment issues, companies, and I, I warn about that. In the, um, and then, oh, finally, one thing that uh, I always like to this chat thing. Yeah, you know, no Amazon, Amazon chats. Okay, one thing I one thing I also really really care about for developers is that you are doing bumper bowling when you code at work. What I mean by bumper bowling is by the time stuff has reached you. Everyone's already figured out the business model. Everyone's already figured out the marketing. The 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 points on the ticket system, whatever, whatever you have, like these, this is just like easy mode. Do you know what I mean? Like if you really want to ship something from end to end, you got to do it as a side product. You know, if you, if you ever have any entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ambition, or if you just want to grow as an engineer and, 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 and grow into like step into the shoes of someone who's more senior, who has got more response than they give you at work, then you got to ship a side project, you know, practice shipping, practice the, the whole cycle from like ideation all the way to marketing. And developers are always you know, very scared of marketing. And that's a shame because if you write the best code in the world and nobody knows about it, it kind of does exist. Totally. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, there's a lot of good reasons to it. Yeah, you definitely, you know, one thing to remember is that we write code for people. And so if you're not, if you're not actually shipping, then and you're, you don't have that interaction, that feedback loop with people, then it's really tough to to learn and grow and and develop some of those those good habits and side projects i I mentioned this before on uh, another show that that feedback loop if it's for yourself that feedback loop's really tight like if you're the one using it you're the one giving yourself feedback there's no different like there's no distance so that's really that's really quick um and so you know personally i don't even think that these side projects are you know especially with open source and modules and things that you use they don't have to be very big i mean something that i use that i wrote i use this an embarrassing amount it's a module called date range array it does exactly what you think it would you just give it two dates and it creates an array of like dates in between (laughs) i use this thing a stupid amount and like I'm sure there's a ton of things like that that anyone here could make. In fact, like just make that. Like if I use it a ton, maybe you use it a ton. Don't use mine. It's like, I don't know, 10 lines. Yeah. Like, but so much more of it is writing the tests and figuring out like all of this other end-to-end stuff that's really that's really valuable. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, the, the 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 proto site project is your is your personal site. Um mm. don't make it too complex, but for sure do your own personal site. You're a developer. Don't if like I hate seeing developers only blog on me. Because like, what are you a developer for if you can't set up a personal site for yourself? And I, I, you don't even have to be a front end dev, but like, you know, I think most of our can figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 that really starts to own your audience, starts to concentrate all your public work, so people who look you up can find you. you don't 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 syndicate your identity out to all these other third party platforms like LinkedIn or even even Dev Two. A lot of people with Dev Two like have it on your site where you own your. Yeah, of course. And then uh, usually what happens for for a lot of the people I know is then they start building their own blogging engine or their own static site generator. Yeah, that, and, that, that and they never actually blog. <laughs> but, but that's a, that's another thing. Like scope creep is a thing, and you got to rein that in, right? For, yeah. for shipping. Totally, uh, Sean. This has been great. Um, where can people find out more about you online? 
oh see uh, my personal site so <laughs> so um, I, I didn't I did not plan that but uh, yeah swix.io is my site you can also find me on twitter.com slash swix and if you have any questions that you want to just email me personally I, I'm being public about my email now it's swix at hey.com which is nice because I got that, oh, that nice awesome. four letter uh, yeah that's uh, that's how you get in touch with me and I really appreciated having this uh, chance to, to chat about the book chat about life I think I think yeah we need to get this pipeline fixed more advice out there i think that's pretty important Thanks. well perfect thank you for joining me today all right folks that's it i'm david gutman and i hope you join me next time for junior senior if you've enjoyed the show and you want to get more involved with like-minded devs focused on their career head on over to community.junior2senior.io i'll also put that in the show notes and you can get more information about joining our private community thanks everyone bye